Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, 3 through 13, as we do part 3 in this little mini-series, How to Pray. And when you get there, stand as I read our text this morning. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come in his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And if a son asks bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And bless your word to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. So as we finish up here, we're going to do the second half of the Lord's Prayer with the illustrations that Jesus has given us there in verses 5 through 13 in regards to our the earthly side of prayer. Uh, we've first two parts of this series, we talked about the heavenly side of prayer, honoring uh, our Father, His holiness, uh, His otherworldliness, His kingdom, and His will. Those are the important things. Those are the things that are fully and firmly established in heaven and will never change. But that rule and that reign of our Father in heaven needs to be transferred to this terrestrial level. And it's our job to pray it into being. You know, one of the first things that comes to a person's mind after conversion, the natural thing, is, Lord, what would you have me to do? Remember when Paul was knocked off his horse by the blinding light on his way to Damascus to, to kill Christians? What was the first thing out of his mouth? Or well, the second thing, maybe. The first thing was, who are you? <laughs> right? Whoa. Lord, what would you have me to do? And that really should be a continual prayer of ours. 
But this part of the Lord's Prayer, this earthly side of prayer, is primarily, I think, concerned with three things uh, that pertain to our life's journey. The first thing is our need. We need provision and we need pardon. The second thing we see in it is our battle. We need protection, which involves direction and deliverance. And then lastly, we need a perspective of God. We need to understand that it's all about his kingdom. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about some denomination. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his kingdom. It's about his authority, and it's for his glory. And if we have the right perspective in life, things just seem to go a whole lot better, don't they? So let's look at this first part of uh, our side of prayer, our needs. As he said, you know, give us our daily, uh, give us day by day our daily bread. Now you notice that these, uh, the Lord's prayers in Matthew's is a little bit different. It actually leaves out um, the end, uh, an end portion of, of the prayer as well, which we'll get to at the end of the uh, sermon here. But uh, daily provision, does he really mean day by day? I think he does. <laughs> I mean, we're to uh, not worry about tomorrow, right? Because tomorrow has enough things of itself to worry about. But today is our concern. We can't deal with tomorrow. It's not here yet. We can't change the past. We can't go back. All we have is the moment-by-moment experience that we have in this time continuum. So yes, he's talking about the 24-hour the period in which we experience life. And, and it's important to understand that Jesus takes our needs, our daily provision, very serious. He is deeply concerned that the needs of his children are met. You think about this throughout his ministry. Uh, when he fed the 4,000, when he fed the 5,000, it says he was moved with compassion because the people, uh, number one, were sheep without a shepherd. That's not good. The establishment was failing to feed the flock. They, were, they give them lots of religion but they didn't teach the people how to have a relationship with God. And they really weren't interested in the people's needs. They were interested in having their needs met by, you know, being in the ministry. But God cares. Jesus was moved with compassion. You know, he, what appears to us, was able to take and give something to the people out of very little, out of almost nothing. I mean, what are two fish and you know, five loaves and two fish among so many, right? You know, and, and, and this just goes to show us, you know, uh, how small our faith really is. What we seem to do, we fall into the trap. Well, I've been guilty of this more than I want to admit, but I, it's the way it, we are because of our limitations and our understanding. But we often measure the problem that we're facing by our ability to fix it. And, and what we often do is transfer that inability to God. I mean, like, okay, so we uh, have a cold. Well, I can deal with that. I'll just take some medicine, you know, and I'll be fine. We can deal with that. Then when we, you know, hear the C word, you know, freak out. <gasps> Cancer. Oh, I'm doomed. Well, which is harder for God to heal? a cold, a backache, or cancer. See, we, we can just fix the one. We have little power over the other, right? But 
to God, he's not limited. And this is one of the important things about provision or about any need in life. Don't reduce God's ability to our inability level. That's just not right. Sometimes I think uh, this daily request and having faith and asking for it comes from a, a works-based relationship. We're, we really are, unfortunately, uh, performance-based. You know, there seems to be, if I'm doing really well, I'm, I'm doing all the right spiritual things, and then when I pray, I'm pretty sure God's going to do it. But then when I've been a stinker or I've gotten away from prayer and haven't read my Bible quite as much and I haven't been fellowshipping like I probably should, and, and then when I go to pray, you know, well, I don't have the confidence, and so, well, probably he won't bless me. See, that's, this is not the way God operates. You know, he's, it's always on the basis of grace, no matter if you're doing well or if you're not doing so well. It's always on the same basis. It's not what we do. It's who he is, and we have to keep that in our foremost mind as we approach God in believing prayer. Um, you know, I guess it's, we probably had an, prayed enough prayers and realized that God hasn't answered all those prayers in the way that we preferred, or he just didn't answer them at all. So sometimes we can kind of get used to being denied. Well, you know, it didn't happen. It hasn't happened yet. Probably won't happen. Well, forget it. But it, the emphasis here, as, you, as we've read, verses 5 through 13, is persistence. Well, I prayed once. I mean, how many times do I need to pray? I believe him. What's the problem? There's something that happens within our hearts as we are persistent in prayer. That persistence, that continuing to come to God over and over, it does something that God sees within our hearts that is good. And so he's arranged it this way. He's set it up this way. So just because we don't get what we want because we've asked one time doesn't mean we should stop asking. It's not a matter of reluctance. And this is really what we see in verses 5 through 8. You know, the guy, it was sort of a, uh, a cultural thing that if you had someone come over to your house, you fed them. You just, everybody did it, and this is just the way it is. You come to my house, you're going to get something shoved in your mouth by my wife, I can tell you that. She likes to, she's hospitable, she likes to give, and she likes to prepare food uh, and all. Uh, but that's the way the Israelis were. That was the way the nation was. They, they, food was a big thing. Eating is a big thing. And so this guy comes at a, you know, not the best time of the day. <laughs> you know, they, they would live, you know, for those of you, I don't know if they still do it in Israel, but the living, the sleeping quarters were normally above the, the living quarters throughout where they would be like throughout the day. And everybody, one big room and everybody sacked out type of thing. So to get up, means you're going to be disturbing the kids, and it's just, it's a hassle. And so he's creating this, this uh, story, this antidote to show them, you know, you're not disturbing God. He's not interrupted. He, it's not like that. There's no reluctance whatsoever like us when we're asked to give of ourselves. God isn't like that. Persistence is so important when it comes to our prayers. So on the other side of this is if our prayers are delayed in answer, it doesn't mean 
that he's reluctant and it doesn't mean that he's not going to do something. And so he's, we've got to just be strong in, in, in our prayers and consistent with them. And of course, there's always that chance that what I'm asking for isn't in our best interest. No, I know you're not guilty of asking for something that you, like that. Would You would never do that, would you? <laughs> Unfortunately, we do. And so, and then there's all this other side too, that you might be asking for something and God is, we know now, that God is willing to give it. He loves to give. He loves to lavish his grace and blessings upon us. But the thing that you've been asking for is really a lot less than he wants to give you. He actually wants to pour out so much more upon you and you kind of we can kind of restrict that. You know, this is what Paul, I think, was had learned and I think this is what he's communicating to the Ephesian church. God is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. Now, I know some of you got some pretty good imaginations. You can think some pretty crazy things, some great things, and that's good. But it isn't compared to what God can do because not only does God want to bless you, your family, but those around you. I mean, this is the whole idea of uh, Paul communicating to the Thessalonians. is about working. You work so that you have extras so that you can share with others. See, God is a sharing God. God is a giving God. God wants his children to learn how to be generous and giving to others. It's not just about us. So uh, let's not uh, shortchange what God might want to do in our lives. But for that to become a reality, it, there must be a persistent prayer life and a persistence in our prayers before God. Uh, and this is what he's again communicating in verses 9 through 13. It is ask, it is seek, it is knock. Now this is written in, in, in the language here is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So this is Again, defining persistence, is it not? You know, when we ask, we're to anticipate God's generosity. We're to anticipate his kindness because that's who he is. He's not like, oh, all right, you know, here. We might do that with certain people that bug us, right? Just to get them out of our hair maybe, right? That's not the Lord at all. He, he's generous and he's kind. And you know the wonderful thing about Asking, you receive. Does that mean that God's going to give everything that I ask for? No, not necessarily. But I'm going to receive something. I'm going to get some kind of response from God as long as I'm persistent and continuing to seek uh, an answer from Him. The, you know, it, it is possible. Actually, it's happened in my life more than I prefer. And it, the answer was No. <laughs> Because what I was asking for was not in my best interest and in, his, in the best interest that he has for me and the plan that he has for my life. And, that's, and I can accept that. Paul had that issue, right? He prayed three times, and that's probably not a bad thing to do. Remember, Jesus prayed three times in the garden, and he, he accepted the answer that there was no other way. The cup was not going to pass. Paul was being stuck in the side with a tent stake, and he prayed three times that that thorn in the flesh, not a little thorn, we're talking about a tent stake, it hurt really bad. Imagine a tent stake in your side. 
That's what he's trying to explain, the pain that he endured. He prayed three times that the Lord would remove that. And God said no. Because what was in the best interest for Apostle Paul was that he, that, that pain and suffering would keep him in a, in a centered between the tension of exalting himself and feeling sorry for himself. It would keep him centered on the grace of God, which the Father said, my grace is sufficient for you. And this is what we have to remember. Sometimes when we ask, we have to wait for the answer. So turn with me in your Bible, if you will, and you'll pull it up for, for me back there. Uh, for some of you who don't have a Bible with you, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, and with a couple comments. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let it ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach. It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man Suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So there has to be that consistent trust that God is going to answer me. Notice what it says about God. He gives all to all liberally, does he not? He's generous and kind. But you have to ask in faith. So this is uh, an important aspect of our asking. And back in verse 11, uh, speaking of the basic needs, you know, asking for uh, something to eat, um, asking for a good gift, God doesn't give us things that are useless. He doesn't give us a rock. You know, you just throw that at somebody? I mean, what would you, what do you need a rock for, right? Uh, he doesn't give us things that are dangerous. You know, oh, here, son, you can play with the scorpions, you know. How about an alligator for fun, you know? I mean, no, he, you know, he doesn't do those kinds of things. I mean, we get it as uh, parents. We know how to give, uh, being evil, having a fallen nature. We know how to bless our children and what to give them and what not to give them. How much more is the idea here? Is your heavenly father know what's best for his children? He gives us what we need. And again, this is, our focus has changed as we continue in this persistence. Sometimes we just simply become aware, you know what, I don't think I need that. You know what, I, okay, you, you can, you, I've dropped so many prayers because of that happening. It's like, I just had this sense like, you know, I don't think that's the Lord's will. And, and, and I'm okay with it. But that's part of being persistent. You discover that. Uh, some of the things are just, Way too carnal, right? Uh, Romans 14, 17, and 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, and, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by man. So it, we may be really focused on the physical. And God cares about that as, as Jesus fed the 5,000, as he has compassion upon our needs. But primarily... 
what God wants for us is he's concerned about the righteousness in your heart. He's concerned about the purity within our lives. He wants us to live in peace. There should be uh, love working in our hearts so that there's no torment in our lives. You know, fear brings torment. And he who has torment is not perfected in love. So this, this is the Father's objective, ultimately, is to per- perfect his love within our souls. And then the other things are just sort of, as we would say as men, it's just gravy on the side, right? You know, the physical is lesser. The most important thing are the spiritual. And so here's the promise. You know, those who seek, what are the, happens? Those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, the door is opened. So the idea behind knocking is just do everything you can do. When you're praying for something and asking for something and seeking for something, you keep doing what you can do on the horizontal level, the physical plane, to get what you're after. You know, and it isn't God helps those who help themselves. It's not that principle. That's not in the Bible, by the way. It is just doing uh, what you can do as Jesus, in many of his miracles, there was some responsibility on the side of the receiver to do something in order to receive the miracle or the blessing they were asking. You know, the one guy had to go wash in the pool, did he not? The lepers had to go to the priest and proclaim, you know, hey, look, I'm clean. And as they went, they received. So it's just not all on God to do this, but there's sometimes a human responsibility involved with receiving. The whole idea in prayer, though, is just to have a, a running dialogue in your life that you're constantly in conversation with the Lord. Now, not, you don't need to do that when you're talking to me or your wife. That's kind of bad. I mean, you don't want to, you know, you know what I'm saying. But, but in your heart, as you're going about your business throughout the day, there's engagement that you have with God. That's, that's a beautiful thing. That's what uh, we're taught uh, about prayer. It is through prayer that I have a deeper understanding and knowledge of God. I will not come to know the Lord in a deeper way apart from my prayer life. You come to know him and love him through conversing with him. It's just that simple. It's, that's what all life is about, is it not? Just to know the Lord and to understand and receive eternal life. Now, on the opposite side of this thing, consider if you, every prayer you prayed and God gave you everything you asked for, what would be the result of that? Well, I, I would say it would be disaster. And at minimum, we'd be a bunch of spoiled brats, right? Because <laughs> we don't, as earthly parents, we don't give everything to our children that they ask for. It's just not a, this is not something we're, uh, we do. We always do what's in the best interest of our children, so that's what God does with us. Now, this is unfortunate that because people don't really understand or maybe appreciate God's loving character and his patience and his slowness to respond to us sometimes, uh, some people get offended by that. 
Well, I prayed about that, and God didn't do anything about it. You know, like, how long have we been praying, for example? How long have we been praying for to be relieved of the leadership, the corruption that's going on in this nation? How many prayers have been uttered by the church over the years to end abortion? I mean, some of this is on us. There's no question about that. But we know that God is almighty, and he can do anything apart from us if, if he wants to. And so I don't understand all that. So when I enter into an area where I don't understand why it doesn't happen or, or my expectations, just be careful with expectations in your prayers because sometimes they're just not, they're misplaced and they're not what they ought to be and we can be offended by that. That's why it's always best as Jesus prayed, not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's how you keep from getting caught up in that uh, expectation stumbling block. The other thing that's needful, it's a big thing here, our need. We're needy people. Uh, we have those daily provisions, but we need pardoned. We need forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. What is forgiveness of sin? Well, according to this, it's the cancellation of debt, sin. Sin creates a debt. Um, you don't have to be an accountant to understand debt, do you? <laughs> you know, debts need to be satisfied. And an accountant will tell you the books must be balanced. Or they get a little nervous. <laughs> you, think, you think we're OCD, you know. <laughs> now I'm off, watch them balance the checkbook and it's not right. <laughs> Freak out. When the debts are not paid, we know that this isn't right. It's unjust. And you know, this is one of the deepest needs within the human heart is that there's justice, there's fairness. Because a lack of that produces pain and sorrow in the life of a person. You know, God is not going to allow injustice to exist forever. He's going to deal with it. And so, injustice isn't acceptable. Scores must be settled. You know, without that happening, there's no peace. It actually creates chaos. And chaos, we know, is destructive. So having debts paid or canceled is actually the key to reconciliation. We have no reconciliation with God until our sins are forgiven. We have no reconciliation with one another until we forgive one another. See, what is sin? Well, simply put, sin is choosing self-gratification without regard to right or wrong, without regard to other people and how it may affect them. Nobody sins unto the, alone. You think, oh, it's just my problem, and what I do isn't going to affect anybody else wrong. If I choose to be selfish and do something for, out of that selfishness, just for self-gratification, do, do, I am deceived to think that I'm only going to harm myself. That is not true. And we have to remember as well, forgiveness, our pardon is conditional. Uh, I have to forgive so that I may too be forgiven. If I refuse to forgive others, then my sins will not be forgiven. That's pretty uh, harsh, but it's true. These are strong words in Mark's Gospel 11 uh, verses 25 and 26. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, 
forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So I think unanswered prayer can be the result of unforgiveness. Uh, unfortunately, unforgiveness also often leads to anger, uh, leads to deep-rooted bitterness. And we know that bitterness uh, defiles the person rather rapidly and mercilessly. It's difficult. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Uh, these are important things, and we're familiar with this. I'm not, I'm not teaching you anything this morning that you have not previously heard. And this is part of the ministry of the Word is that we're simply to remember what we've been taught and be reminded of the truths that are so vital for our spiritual growth. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 um, captures uh, this idea of uh, forgiveness and unforgiveness. Peter said to him, Lord, how often shall I my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Oh, Jesus said to him, I did not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had that the payment might be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he, what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. And so when the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you and all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So this is strong medicine for our fallen natures. But notice in verse 28, he went and found this unforgiving man, went and found he laid hands on him, took him by the throat. So unforgiveness and not letting people off the hook is often characterized by anger. There's an, an you know, the Bible talks about not making agreements with an angry man. There's usually an issue of unforgiveness uh, in a person's life when there's the anger. And uh, you are not patient with people, as we read here. And we refuse to show mercy and compassion. Love sort of exits our lives. And the problem with living without love is that we're tormented by it. You know, turn him over to the tormentors. So if there's a, 
and we all know it. Guilt is tormentuous. There's lots of things that torment us. And so sometimes when we have that experience, because we've probably all had this issue come up in our lives over the years, uh, and you learn, like, i got to deal with this because I'm not at peace here. And we have to go to people sometimes and say we're sorry, and confess our faults, and do the best we can to be at peace with all men by admitting our wrongs. And I think one of the keys to extending forgiveness is to do it right away. Don't wait. Um, don't wait till you feel like it because you may never feel like it. Uh, forgiveness is, again, not just simply forgetting the debt, but it's actually canceling the debt, and that is through confession and asking for it. Forgiveness is a choice we have to make on our own. You, you, it, it, is, it, is, it is not an emotional thing, although it is emotional. It is an act of our will. I will and I choose to forgive others. Forgiveness often involves having to live with the consequences of our sin. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's, it's gone, it's over, it's, it, what's been done is done. And that's the tough part of it sometimes. And it's why it, com- it can come back and kind of re- rehearse and go over and over because that's the damage that sin does. And one of the things that needs to happen in doing it quickly is that it is from the heart, not just the head. I really am sorry and I really am asking for forgiveness here. And I'm sincere when I ask it. And I'm willing to accept the residual fallout from it and I pray for the mercy of God. And the other thing about forgiveness that's important is that we leave the judgment seat. That's so important. Who am I to hold someone else in judgment? Have I not sinned against God? Have I not sinned against other people? Yeah, I've done it all. I've been guilty of it. But ultimately, God is the judge. No one has the right to judge other people. Why is that? Because we don't have all the knowledge. We're not omniscient. Only God has all knowledge. You don't even know yourself. I don't know myself completely. You don't know the whole circumstance of what was behind this and the errors that were made. None of us have all the information needed to make the judgment upon certain situations. In fact, all situations. And we surely have no right to judge another man's servant, right? That belongs to God and God alone. Only God is omniscient. Only God is the judge. And we turn it over to him. We cancel the debt. One of the things that I've done over the years with myself and others, encourage others to do, is to write down, on, if you're struggling with this issue, is write down on the piece of paper, maybe the person's name, whatever the situation may have been, write it out. And this is how I feel. This is what happened. This is my, my view of it, Lord. And just kind of bring this before the Lord. And then after you're done, you, you think you've got it all there, then you say to the Lord, you know, I am canceling this debt. And take that paper and just rip it up. I am canceling that debt. They don't owe me anything. I let them go. It's not an issue with me anymore, Lord. Please heal me. And that's a good way to go about it. Um, the other thing that's important uh, is to understand um, the battle that we're involved in. We're involved in, in spiritual warfare. It's not just... Um, what shall I say hunky dory for us it's all just peaches and cream 
We're in a war. Sometimes we forget about uh, the kind of war, uh, warfare that we're involved in. It's on the cosmic level. And we have great need for God to direct us. You know, when you're, if you're, at, and I've never been in war, I've never been in the military where you're going out and bullets are flying. But I know one thing, you want to stay away from the enemy and you want to stay out of, you know, flying bullets, right? And flying artillery. You, 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 and you, in this regard, God knows where the, the arrows are coming from. God knows how to guide us through. You know, think about that situation with David on the run from Saul. The enemy was after him. One time, he had them all. They, were, they had climbed to the top of the, the mountaintop there, and they were surrounded by Saul and his army. It's, they're done. Where are you going to go? They can't make wings and fly. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Saul gets word that, hey, the Philistines have invaded the land. We need help over here. So they just leave. Only God knows how to direct our steps. So God help us. May the Lord direct us every day. And may we learn how to fight the good fight of faith. You know, as the scripture says, let us lay hold of eternal life, the promise that God has given to us. You see, there's a, there's a lot to laying hold to eternal life. This is really what sanctification is all about. This is a day by day of laying hold, grabbing it, taking it, making it your own, persistent in prayer, taking what's been offered to you and been made available to you because you're a child of God. This is what sanctification is all about. Day by day, I just live this out. I lay hold of the life source that God is to me. Now, think about this for a moment. We've got so many illustrations in the Bible of people just hanging on to God until they got what was needed in the situation. Think of Jacob. He's coming back from serving someone similar to what he was like, and he got a good lesson about that, right? And he's wrestling with the angels of the Lord, and the Lord gets the best of him, but Jacob's got a hold of the angels of the Lord, and he won't let go. Not until you bless me. See, that's what persistent prayer is all about. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop seeking. I'm not going to stop knocking. I'm going to see this through until the Lord shows himself and, and blesses me. And you know what? He's blessed by that. He isn't re- he's not reluctant. He's not like, oh, would you just shut up? It's not that way. I know sometimes you might feel people that way to you, but he's not that way. And it's important that you get a good picture on how loving and gracious and generous our Father in Heaven is. Lay hold of what He's given to us. We're in a spiritual battle. It's a war for our spiritual growth. It's a warfare for our spiritual maturity. You won't grow and mature with a passive spiritual mindset. You have to want it. You have to desire it. As it's been said, to the victor belongs the spoils, does it not? Or do you, are, you, are we and will we be dissatisfied with what's left over? Do you like leftovers? Well, to some degree, right? <laughs> but do you want spiritual leftovers when you could have had the best of what God had to offer? But you're, you know, we become unwilling to be persistent and continue. It's an, it's an exhortation to us. He says here, 
Lead us not into temptation. This is what I'm talking about. We need to be, we need direction from God. Lead us. Lead us not into the place where we're going to be tempted. We ask God to protect us every day. We don't want to be defiled. We don't want to uh, go, in the, go where the Lord doesn't want us to go. One of the things that we have in regards to this is that we have uh, been given the Holy Spirit, which means we have one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is self-control. The thing about uh, self-control, which each each of us have because we have the Holy Spirit, is that uh, it's a lot easier to exercise that and maintain that when you don't have to rely on it. And what do I mean by that? Well, for example, if... um, you're tempted to drink. If you uh, won't be tempted to drink if you don't enter into a tavern or places that serve liquor. You know, part of the victory over temptation is not making provision for the flesh. Don't set yourself up for disappointment. Well, you know, I, I went in there, I, I thought I could handle it, but you know, what are you even going there for, right? Just don't go there. And that's one of the ways that we avoid temptation is simply avoiding the situations and putting ourselves in a place where we could fall. Deliverance. What does that mean? Well, it means to be rescued from danger. You know, it's pretty dangerous out there. You do know that. There's a target on your head. You think about this... Cosmic warfare that we're involved in. We need rescuing from the curse, from ourselves, and from the enemy. You know, our fallen nature blinds us to the reality. We don't really know the depth of reality. We think we know what reality is, but do we? At least to some degree. We're naturally blind to the truth about ourselves and about the way the world actually works. And then we have... On top of that, we have these malevolent beings in this unseen realm around us that absolutely hate us with immeasurable hatred. They are a united, they are an evil genius united to destroy mankind. And I don't, and unfortunately, there are people that are more afraid of the devil than they are of God. And that's really sad. You know, people, you, you, you need to respect the enemy. I get that, and that's important. But there's a greater fear that should be instilled within our hearts, and it comes by the presence of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because Jesus even had this as a man. Look up Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord and the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the Spirit is the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, why would Jesus, he's God, why would Jesus need the Spirit of the fear of the Lord? Because the human nature that we have, not seeing God as we cannot see him with our eyes, we need to be instilled with that respect for him, the awesomeness of his being. We respect the enemy, but we don't need to be afraid of him. We need to fear the one who made us. And all he does is seek to hinder us, and so we need deliverance from his tricks and his lies, because he tell he does nothing but lie to us. He inverts everything. Every truth is turned into a lie by him. Now, of course, 
There are those who question, well, if God is so good, why does he let this happen? I don't know. And if you figured it out, let me know, because I don't know. But I do know God just appears to me. He lets things play out because he is so powerful that when it's meant for evil against you and I, God is able to use it for good. Now, I don't know how he does that, but he does it. So he's letting this whole thing play out in our culture and what's been going on the last many years. How is this going to work? How can you possibly work all this out for good? I don't know, but it's going to happen. And then you can see in your own life the truth. Lastly, let's just end this with um, our perspective. Uh, It's his kingdom, it's his power, and it's his glory that matter. Everything is from him, to him, and for him. It is just the way it is. He's the one who established his kingdom. And, and, and there are those who you know, struggle with, well, you know, where is God's kingdom? Well, it's here. It is here. Jesus told his dis- apostles, well, disciples at that time, in Mark 9, 1, Assuredly, I say to you, there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, did Jesus tell a lie? Or did he tell the truth? And Indeed, he told the truth. So how is that that it fleshed out? Well, what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God birthed the church. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon the church. The presence of God was brought in a powerful way, and many people were added to the kingdom of God at that time. Disciples saw the kingdom of God arrive with power and with his presence on that special day. Before they were martyred, they experienced the power of God, the presence of God. We have the book of Acts and the miracles that were done through that 30-year period that's been recorded in church history. And I really hope and pray that we have uh, what the scripture refers to as the latter rain. I'm not talking about the heresy that happened you know, years ago. The early rain and the latter rain. The early rain and the pouring out of God's spirit at Pentecost. But then there is this understanding that there's, before the Lord comes back, there's going to be a latter rain, a pouring out of God's Spirit, a gathering together for the harvest. I believe it with all my heart. I know there's people that don't go along with that. I don't care. I want to, be, I want to experience revival. That's on, my, that's on me, not on anybody else. I want to be the salt and light that God's called and ordained, us to, and ordained me to be. We need to be salt and light because this world is dark and it's putrefying. We need light and we need salt to sanctify this place. It's an absolute train wreck mess. And if we will do our jobs as imagers, and what I mean again by that is just simply doing what God would want us to do, exercising the authority, being the sons and daughters that he's ordained us to be, doing what he's called us to do. If you do your job and I do my job, there will be revival. There will be a move of his presence. There'll be an expression of his power and we will gape in awe at what God will do in our midst. And I'm, we're praying for that kind of move. Jesus was given all authority in heaven and earth. And then he's delegated that authority to the church. We are his representatives. And it's a, it, the ball is on our court. It, and prayer... How to pray. He's shown us here. Prayer is the key to advancing the kingdom of God. 
the church, it advances on its knees is because we are trusting God for the move of his Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. We can't change D.C. We've been trying for years. It's just gotten worse. We can't change the economy. We can't do any of those things. People criticize, well, you know, the problem in the church today is doctrine. You know, that's the problem in the church. If people would just taught the true doctrine uh, and the things that are in the scriptures, then, then everything would be well. No, that is not the problem in the church. You can chase your tail all day with that one. You know what the problem in the church today is? It's real simple. And we're all guilty to some degree. So if we're honest with ourselves, John told the church, aged servant of God, love not the world. These are the things that are in the world. The things in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are of the world and not of God. If you have the love and we have the love of the world in us, we have not the love of the Father. Literally, the way that is written is, stop it. Stop loving the world. Yes, God cares about our daily needs, and he will meet them, and he'll do wonderful things, but that's not the focus. Our focus is our relationship with him and the responsibilities that he's given to us to carry out as his imagers. That's needs to be our focus. All the other stuff will find its place. It, it always does. It always will. Because that's God's order. Do you want more of God's power in your life? Do you want to learn how to exercise that authority and be fruitful? Then become a prayer warrior. Give yourself to persistent prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would let this, these truths, Lord, that we know to be true and have been taught become a reality in our hearts and our lives. We just want to say thank you for providing for our needs. We want to say thank you for providing the protection and direction we need. Just help us maintain the perspective that we need, Lord. That we don't want to get off in the weeds. We want to be all that you intend us to be, Lord. If that's your prayer, you want God to fill you with his spirit to carry out your mission, just raise your hand. Go ahead, let's all stand, but just raise your hand as you're standing. That is an act of you praying. That is an act of you surrendering to receive all that God has, to become all that he intended you to be. Lord, we surrender to you. We raise our hands. We want all that you have for us. And don't give up working with us until we have that kind of heart, Lord. Make us after your image, Lord, more and more. Fill us with your love, your power. May great grace be upon this church and every member, Lord. Bless your people, Father. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen them in their walk, Lord God. Protect each and every one of us from the enemy, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding, Lord. Draw us close to your heart, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.